So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Hey, Chris. Hey, Liz. <laughs> Welcome back. Here to we are. Friday night. This is what we do on Friday. I don't know why we don't <laughs> drink while we do this either. I, I feel like we should have one drinking session while we record sometime. I'm having diet ginger ale. Only if we have safe words, I think. <laughs> safe words yeah like nobody needs to get me started on a topic and also give me alcohol that's probably oh <laughs> not for that's the best. real passion comes out though Ooh, that word the real passion my my the real rage my racial my no i'm a very happy drinker i get really really jovial i think i think me too. in the past i used to before the pandemic Speaking of before the pandemic, what I wanted to bring up today was Precision Nutrition's latest Instagram post about the hierarchy of needs pre-pandemic and current. You know, this is like my favorite topic (laughs) is cultural anthropology. (laughs) So there's like this established and this is based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is something I was taught about in college a long time ago when I was taking these cultural anthropology, cultural anthropology classes. And this idea it's this idea that human behavior basically functions along this continuum of needs, right? So if you look at the, the image, if you can see it, if you're just listening, I'm going to read it out anyway, so don't panic. No need to like drive off the road and like find a screen. I'm going to tell you about it, right? Is the idea is that there are these very base um, needs that we all have and that drive our deepest behavior. And so we could talk a little bit about what part of the brain um, drives these behaviors if we want to. But for now, I'm going to kind of just go through what they are. And then we can sort of discuss what this post is about. And I can sort of talk a little bit more about that. So really, at the very base level of the hierarchy of needs is your physiological needs, right? You need to be able to breathe. You need to consume energy. You need to consume water to keep your body functioning. You need reproduction, right? You need sleep and you need to keep everything, all of these processes going. And one of the things that's listed on here too is excretion, right? Because this is the the end of one of the cycles that we run in life, right? It's like we take energy in, we use energy, we get rid of what we don't need. Every animal does this. Um, It's one of the definitions of being, you know, alive is that you run these processes. So these things here are like non-negotiables. If you're not meeting these needs fundamentally, like this is going to be your biggest priority. The next level up from that is safety, right? And when we talk about safety, safety means like security of your physical person, security of those around you, security in, you know, making sure that those physiological needs get met. So anytime we have a safety threat, Again, we reduce our desires and our focus down to this level of, I don't feel safe around some issue in my life, and therefore that's what I'm going to focus my energies on, right? Um, Above that, we now have some free time and some space we've provided for our basic safety needs, right? We have food, shelter, we can breathe air, we can drink water, we have a mate, we have um, some kind of stability happening, and we have a place to poop, obviously, because everybody poops. (laughs) Excretion. Once we've managed that stuff and we feel secure in that, we can move up to social connections and we can start working on relationships with others and building communities and, you know, maybe having groups that we function within that are not just community-based, but they're maybe interest-based or things like that. And then another level up from that is where we start to see, you know, things like creativity, um, empathy for others, care for yourself starting to happen, right? This This is a higher level of our needs being met that where we have the space to think about this stuff. Right. And then at the very, very top, we have this thing called self-actualization, which is where we can 
ponder things. So we think about the great thinkers here, you know, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and these people who had all this free time and plenty of resources and they just sat around thinking about life and coming up with rules for things. So morality falls into here, art falls into here, um, spontaneous decisions fall into here because if you're safe and you have friends and everything's going well and you have confidence, you can probably go jump off a bridge into the water and feel like that might be a good thing for today. Look at right? this lack of prejudice, lack of prejudice right there at the top. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, this I would say that some of this does not fall into Maslow's traditional hierarchy of mm-hmm. needs. And I think we should pull that up as well. So it's, you know, this is a more simplified version of it. And PN is elaborating a little bit on social contexts that seem relevant to today. So again, we still see physiological need. We see safety need. We see love and belonging. We see esteem, self-esteem, and we then see self-actualization. But PN has broken it down into slightly more specific categories that are relevant to today. But I want to point out that this is relevant no matter the time, place, culture, group of humans, you know, creed, religion, whatever. These things are bigger than any of that. And that's the idea behind it is that these are the the fundamental drivers of any animal and what it does. And so what they've said here, I mean, they're so little, my cat like, is definitely at the self-esteem part. <laughs> <laughs> the cat really only cares about itself for the most part, but it does require love and family and belonging from me and, you know, food. So, so why I'm having, why I'm having us talk on this <laughs> is because, you know, I've, I've noticed definitely a lot of changes around, um, uh, I don't know if I want to use the term. I'm sure you have a better term for me. The motivators mm-hmm. for for nutrition and fitness focus. I have. I feel different. I definitely feel like I'm not the same person as before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. I um, I definitely feel like it was a lot about that mirror image. It was a lot about like, well, I can go out and feel like I look a certain way, the way that I want to be perceived, and that's all that matters. And now um, I feel like there's been a real shift. I don't really get seen by anyone anymore. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so I, so I just feel like um, there is a lot more focus on the security of body, as they say, this sense of this almost desperate sense for any sort of security, even though we're all going to die and we can't take anything with us except for <laughs> maybe our soul, depending on what you believe our karma, depending also on what you believe. <laughs> um, but I keep on having these desires to cling to things that make me feel secure, like almost everyone. Um, and that has just, that's just really shifted. Um, I guess the the dynamics with my relationship with with fitness and food it just feels I'm still doing the same things kind of but but I just I'm just in this place where I'm like I just want to feel okay versus I want to feel my best. <laughs> yeah. And I think we were at this place of of you know being pretty high up on the hierarchy of needs of, you know, we were at esteem, we were thinking about achievement and other respect for others and all of this stuff, right? When we say we, I think it's a really dangerous thing because yeah. are we talking about really we as humanity as a whole? Because I would argue that there are a significant, significant number of human beings on this earth that are still at the physiological needs level. Yeah. Of- I think precision nutrition is talking about, um, those that they market to, which are right. people in, you know, I mean, a lot of different factors, like people who are but in, predominantly in the West. Yeah. Predominantly, predominantly in what we term in the West arrogantly as developed cultures. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's always important, especially if we're going to start talking about this from this frame, that we acknowledge that there are inherent biases in our perception of where we stand on these things versus other people as well. And mm-hmm. so when you can look at it from a perspective of like, okay, yes, we used to have even more privilege than we have today. <laughs> it sort of levels the playing field a little bit more. And I, and I think it's this idea of really kind of taking stock as we all have had to over the pandemic of what things are really truly important and what things really are kind of bonus items 
And so as you get up, and I'm not saying bonus in the fact that we don't deserve them or shouldn't have them, but that when it comes to what the planet considers survival worthy, we have gone far beyond that as a society and, and as an animal. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about, it doesn't kind of, it's my, my depression talking, but I just feel like there's really not a point to keep surviving. There's not a desire to keep surviving unless you have some grander purpose, some purpose in life, something worth living for. Um, and again, that might be really, I hope that's not really triggering or upsetting for um, some people, but you know, I, I think about that a lot about a sense of purpose and it feels so elusive, especially right now. Well, and I think a lot of people are struggling with this. I have had a lot of conversations with other coaches, with clients, and the tone of all of these conversations has changed quite significantly in the last two years as well. And I, I find it really interesting from a cyclical civilization's point of view, right? Like if you look all the way back to like the Roman civilization, they, they were at a peak of all sorts of things. They had the best plumbing, I would go back to excretion. This was a huge deal. <laughs> they, had the, they had the best plumbing. They had running water. They had all of this money in this huge empire with ma- amazing resources. They were traveling. They were doing all of the things that we would consider like markers for success in modern society. And then their society completely fell apart. And so if you look at like the process of that, and it, you know, it does Rome wasn't built in a day and it didn't fall in one either. It took a long time. And there was a, a series of very systematic things that happened that you can observe in other societies kind of like power arc. And we could talk about the British Empire this way. We could talk about some of the Chinese dynasties this way. There's there's tons and tons of like observable patterns that we can look at. And what we what we should be striving to do is figure out where are we in that cycle at this time? And is there a way to break it? And so this has been, I've noticed more and more people who spend time trying to help other people improve their lives. We're all starting to talk about this same thing. And so I think it's really interesting that PN has put this out at this time, because it says a lot about what's going on in people's minds. It's like, why are we here? What are we doing? Are the things that we're doing right now really the right things to be doing? What is the purpose of what's going on? And just because there isn't an immediate answer or response doesn't mean that there is no purpose or reason. It just means that maybe we need to find a new direction. And then that's okay. And we've done this before. Like, we have had to find a new direction before as a species. So, you know, and you look at the Russia situation and what's going on in the Ukraine, and you think it feels like a backward step, doesn't it? It feels like, aren't we past that? Are we still doing this? And it's a real wake up call. At any point, you can slide along this hierarchy of needs. And it's really important to be able to not only identify where you personally sit on this, but where's your society as a whole sitting um, sitting at on this scale? Because even within that same society, different people are going to be different places. I would say that there are still people in the U.S. at this moment who are not feeling threatened by their their safety's not feeling threatened. You know, they're still trying to self-actualize and worrying about themselves. And, and there are still people who have the capacity to be looking around and saying, how can we fix this? How can we create better standards and morals and rules and goals and stuff for humanity as a whole? And it's, it's easy to say, oh, it's all for nothing and it's all is lost. But there are all of these micro groups. It's like unbelievable chaos. <laughs> like there are so many humans. There are so many humans. I watched this TikTok today and it was about this guy who loves to like look at microscopic worlds. And he's like, somebody asked me how many hours of this I could talk about microbiomes for. And he was like, all of them forever. They're so complex and so amazing. And literally I thought I was looking at one thing today and I put the slide under the microscope and there was this new thing I'd never even seen. I didn't know it existed. And now I know about it. And he's like, the complexity of the world that we live in, just on our own level of like size of being is infinite. It's infinite. And then you think about, well, but there's a whole other series of worlds at different sizes. There's like insect size world. And then there's like virus size world. And then there's like smaller than that. And then there's like smaller than that. And they're all infinite. So it's like, I'm just going to bring it up again. You got upset last time, but different planes of existence. 
I didn't, I got upset. Did I, I? No, no, you didn't. You're just like, God, don't get me started. Yeah, totally. But this is why, because this is what I'm saying. This is why I don't need alcohol to do this. Like, this is what happens without any alcohol. It's like my my brain doesn't need to open up I don't feel up like I need for alcohol for this. It just, it, it does, it does turn off my brain a little and that feels pretty good. But I also feel like there's a huge amount of power in recognizing like your own futility, if that sounds, you know, dark or bad, but it's like, it it can feel like everything we do matters so much. And it can also feel like nothing we do matters. And somewhere in between we have to live more that like, what's the point? I'm not really, does there have to be a point? What if just being alive and having experiences is the point? What if there's nothing else to accomplish? What if it's just, do the best you can where you are with what I, you've I'm got. I'm not going to say what I have to say because it <laughs> totally is just going to reveal depression. <laughs> I'm just like, well, okay, maybe I will. It seems like there's a lot of pain and that doesn't really feel, if the point is just to like kind of experience all the pain. And I know, I know I'm in a bad place. So <laughs> That's not what I was thinking. Actually. What oh. I was thinking is like, I think people focus a lot on avoiding pain and it's going to sound very stoic, but like, I don't think avoiding pain is the best goal. I think the idea that pain is bad is a problem. Pain is a message. Just like joy is a message, just like anger is a message. They're messages, right? So it's, if you stop looking at it as good or bad or placing values on the feelings or the experiences and you start looking at them as data, Hmm then it takes some of the power away from whether or not you're doing a good or bad job of it, right? Like if I'm in pain all the time and I'm suffering and everything feels terrible, then the equation becomes I fail. Like only happy feelings are allowed. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's how it was before the pandemic. It was kind of like um, that great term, toxic positivity. Mm. I love that. I love that term because I grew up around a lot of people who are very spiritual and are very into spirituality you know no not not knocking that because I am too but there was this almost like don't talk to me if you're bringing negative vibes or bad vibes or if you're not talking about positive things like don't you have like sadness but even like everything has positive and negative charge right like even electricity Even energy itself has positive and negative. And so when you ignore one half of something, like how can you fully experience anything? Yeah, good point. You know, oh God, I'm surprised you're not bringing up inside out. You want me to? (laughs) It does. Okay. Back to a Disney movie. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know, I know. But the end really did make me cry. I was like, it is everything. But I think this is, and, and again, I hate to drag it right back around to, to culture, but different cultures handle these feelings very differently. Different yeah. amounts of emotion are allowed in different cultures, right? You look at, mm-hmm. we, we think of places like Italy and Greece as fiery and loud and ex- expressive and passionate and all of these big words for the emotions. They get big angry and they get big happy, right? And all of these things are valid in those cultures. And then you go somewhere like Germany and it's very much the opposite of like, no, emotions, no, control. And so again, you have these binary places that you can exist, but they all exist along the spectrum and they're all are valid mm-hmm. options. Mm-hmm. But if you were born into a culture where you have really big feelings and big feelings aren't allowed. Life's going to feel a lot harder for you. If you, if you stick yeah. with that one belief system and that paradigm that this is the only way to be, then that's problematic for you. Yeah. So going back to the, the PN um, version of hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. you talked about how it kind of felt like we were uh, regressing on that, you mm, know, yeah, regressing. I probably shouldn't and- use that word. <laughs> And I guess I want to I want to say like is there a way to think of where a lot of people are at right now um, regarding just uh, getting to that like the survival mentality, um, this lack of safety mentality? Is there a way to thrive in there? You know, or are we or are we just kind of like holding on to the raft? Like, well, I hope I survive another night. <laughs> 
Um, I think the best, the best thing I can come up with is that like, if we look at the hierarchy of needs slightly different is like, again, if, if we look at like the higher up, we are the more successful we are versus the lower we are, the less successful we are. We set ourselves up with a few false paradigms, right? The idea that meeting our own basic needs is not enough is one of them that I would challenge, right? Like what if that actually is enough and anything else we're doing is maybe not beneficial. Like I'm throwing that out there. I don't say I necessarily agree with that, but it's a good thought experiment, right? So, okay. Are people who have all of this time and energy to spend on art and creativity and morality and all of these things happier than people who spend most of their time just meeting their basic needs and getting on with things? I mean, a lot of the research I mean, says statistically, no. Statistically, the, the more educated you are, the more likely you are to be depressed. <laughs> the other thing I would say is that, you know, in, in the majority of the people that I work with, the thing that I'm constantly kind of reiterating and restructuring is your foundations, right? And it's the foundations of how well do you sleep? How much water mm -hmm. do you drink? How high quality and nutrient dense is the food that you're able to consume? How supportive are your relationships? How happy and supportive is your environment? And when I look at those, those are the pillars upon which all of these other things are built. And so we can climb the ladder quickly with bad foundations and end up falling down a bunch of times and rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding, or we can do a good job of building our foundations by making sure everyone has all of their basic needs met and bringing everybody up together. That sounds like right. a, a nation issue. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something a single person can only do so good at by themselves. Yeah, it does. How do we as individuals create our own foundations? Um, I mean, you, you said, you know, just making sure your basic needs are met, like you're getting enough sleep and enough, and enough um, good nutrition within your budget. What if it really was that simple in that if everyone was ruthlessly committed to making sure their basic needs were met, how different would decision-making be? And that tremendous amount of power of the individual becomes collective. If everybody is deciding that these are the things that are the most important, then all of the things are going to change. Because if we truly exist in a free market, then what I as an individual purchase has power. Mm -hmm. And what you as an individual purchase has power, right? Mm -hmm. And we can mold and create the society that we want. So it's not that we're powerless. It's that we have to start ruthlessly, relentlessly pursuing our own foundational health. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, I have like this thought pop in my head while you're saying this about what I think people are purchasing a lot now are numbing devices, things mm -hmm. to numb. You know, um, the more and more, there's always a new like TV subscription out, wonderfully numbing. Video games can be wonderfully numbing, you know, alcohols, like food that is beyond, you know, our, you know, I mean, I don't want to say like, oh, only nutritional, nutritionally valid food, not like that, but, you know, things to numb um, beyond like, oh, this sounds good to me right now. More just like, I don't want to feel my feelings. The work of survival is always there. And when we neglect it or we numb it or we ignore it, we erode our foundation. Hmm. We erode the thing that made us successful in the first place. And the secret is the return to that, I think. I, and I've seen this work mm. for me personally and for, for my clients. I see this kind of, you know. Can you give me an example of like, or what have been your, your foundation steps to build your foundation? Well, for me personally, you know, I, I grew up not very well off. Like we did not have enough money. My mom was a single mom and she had me when she was very young and my dad wasn't around. I mean, this is a classic story, right? And so I, I wasn't given a lot of opportunities and I don't mean to make, to turn this into like a pull your up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, American success story. That's not where this is going. What, what's happened in my lifetime is that I recognized that I was pretty unhappy with my situation that I was in. I felt very stuck and very trapped by the circumstances 
that I was in. And the only way out of that was to do something horribly difficult and uncomfortable and risky. And for me, it was leaving America because when I got out of college, I had approximately $30,000 worth of debt. I didn't have a prospect on a really decent paying job. My car <laughs> looked like it had been in some kind of monster truck rally and was I was constantly getting pulled over by the police because they were profiling my car because it was beat up and I was living in Utah and it was, you know, I also had piercings and many colors in my hair and that was societally not acceptable but I was doing that out of pain, right? Like this whole cocktail of these things, these difficult choices that I wasn't making and I was numbing and I was drinking and I was doing all the things I could think of to ignore all of these problems. And one day I kind of was offered this opportunity to go and teach in France. And I thought, this is what I need out of this situation. I need to clear the slate and make new decisions. Hmm. And the, the process of extricating myself from the life that I was in, it was really painful. I mean, it was really painful on so many levels, like so many levels. I had so What was many the people. most important thing that you needed that you, that drove you to leave America? What was like, like having just a completely new environment? It was hope that I could start over and do better. Hmm. It was freeing myself from things I feel like I didn't generate for myself. Like I could tell you a thousand stories about how being poor in America kept me poor. I mean, the one story I'll tell is about um, my license. Oh no, wait, there's a better one. It was after I'd already left America though. And somebody stole my identity while I was abroad. And the police came to my mom's house looking for me to arrest me. And my mom was like, what the? she's not lived in America for two years. And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. And so I literally had to find the money to fly home to prove that I lived in a foreign country to get rid of an arrest warrant. What were they trying to arrest you for? Because somebody had stolen my credit card number and had wrapped uh -huh. up, I think it was like $15,000 worth of JCPenney purchases, which is comical, right? Kind of. I mean, how the hell do you spend 15 grand at JCPenney? But whatever, that was a different time. I used right? to work at a jewelry department, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, that's how. There we go. It was blinged out. But anyway, I mean, and that's an example of, you know, like that cost me a lot of money I didn't have to come home and clear up a mess I didn't make. And I'll give you the opposite story is that living in a, a, con a country where people's basic safety needs were met, somebody hit my car in a parking lot. And remember I said my previous car was like a monster truck rally victim. Um, I couldn't afford to get it fixed. And if I did, my insurance was going to go up, which I then couldn't afford to pay. So I didn't do it. So I drove around in a falling apart Nissan Sentra. We nicknamed it the silver bullet because it also had a transmission problem. and wouldn't go above 35 miles an hour <laughs> times. So I go, I go to France and I'm, I'm at work. I'm in the parking lot of one of the companies that I was working for. And one of the um, employees of the company hit my car in the parking lot. And I came out and I saw the damage first and I cried because I was, I'd only been abroad for maybe a year and a half, two years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I, I was making it by, but I wasn't saving a lot of money. Yeah. So I was living pretty paycheck to paycheck, even over there. Um, and I, I cried because I thought, oh no, here we go again. Like I've, I've done all of this and I've escaped what I thought was this trap and, and I can't get out because I can't afford to cover this damage. Because if that happened to you in America, it would cost you some money, some kind mm -hmm. of money, right? It would cost you an insurance. Yeah. It would cost you to get it fixed. It would cost you if you had to like sue the person, whatever, right? It would cost you. And so I knew. And so I got in my car and I was crying and I remember I looked up and there was a note on my windshield. And I thought, that's really weird. Like, what? why would somebody leave a note? Did somebody who hit my car leave a note? And sure enough, the person who hit my car left a note and said, please come to the office and page me and we'll fill, fill out the, it's called the Consta Amical, which is like an, am, an amicable statement that every car has. I didn't even know this, right? Every car has one of these pieces of paper in it and you fill it out and it's in place of a police report and you submit it to the insurance company and the insurance company sorts it out. And that was the end of it. It took 15 minutes. The guy was honest about what had happened because he wasn't facing any repercussions from having had an accident. 
So oh, you mean they he, aren't they're gonna jack his insurance to the no. point where it cripples him? Even though it was his fault, they didn't jack his insurance <gasps> up. And he didn't understand my reaction. Like he really genuinely didn't understand why I was panicking. Oh wow. And it took a and because my French was good enough at the time, I was able to communicate with him in French. He actually turned out to be a student of mine later, which was really awkward. <laughs> About a year later, he got assigned to me as a student. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's yeah. Funny. And so it was kind of like a, oh, well, hello again. Like, better stay away from you in the parking lot kind of joke. And anyway, so I, I submit the form. My car gets repaired. It costs me nothing. My insurance premium doesn't go up. His insurance premium doesn't go up. Nothing happened. So when we talk about needs being met <laughs> and foundation. Just, it blows my mind. So this is how I know for a fact, you know, people all love to talk about the health industry, the healthcare industry and the debate yeah. around that and the difference between socialized medicine and not social. I'll tell you, it's not just about the healthcare. It's about every situation in America is leveraged, in my opinion, is leveraged to get some money out of you. And it will punish you if you don't have disposable income to throw at problems that you don't create. Now, what can you do if you are not planning to leave America. So this is where the pain point comes in, right? And this yeah. is why I said, for me, the pain point was leaving. And for people who are here, this is where it takes communities. It takes, I'm in pain, you're in pain. Let's work together to fix our pain. And you're mm -hmm. seeing people do this. You're seeing more protests. You're seeing strikes. You're seeing um, lots of people banding together in smaller communities. You're starting to hear yeah. more and more about people growing food locally in urban areas mm -hmm. where there isn't any available food. Like, a, you know, fresh food, vegetables, fruits, things like that. You're starting to see people reassess what it means to be foundationally safe. And it's a really mm -hmm. important thing. But things what brought you, sorry. Oh, well, I was going to ask, what brought you back to America? Because <laughs> it wasn't. I, mean, I, feel like <laughs> I have gotten, you know, bits and pieces. Mm. You know, so, but not that this, po this podcast is not about me typically. So I feel uncomfortable saying any more about myself, but like, <laughs> I feel like the story I got was, well, I wanted to improve my life. So I left America, but then, yeah. but you know, I'm, I, I wanted could. to feel safe. I didn't feel safe. And I didn't know that yeah. that was a thing, even though I, I came out of college with this degree in anthropology and, and French, which was like, oh, God, who let me do that? It's turned out well for me in the end, I think. I, I use this stuff all the time now, but like at I the tried time, after like... I graduated with a music history <laughs> degree. I was like, well, now I have to actually figure out like how I'm gonna make money. I can't believe they let people do this. <laughs> right. I felt the same way, right? And I, dead I thought, well, and... you know, when I got this opportunity, and it was one of my professors who found this for me and said, I think you'd you would really be good at this and you should go do it. I was just I was somebody helped me. Right. It, I didn't do it magically on my own. Somebody helped me. Somebody gave me an opportunity. They gave mm -hmm. me an option. Was it a perfect option? No, no. It was very difficult, but it was a different choice. And so I, I never intended to come back. Um, and I met my husband, I think four years, three or four years after moving over there. And my husband is English. He's not French, which has always been the joke. It's like I moved all the way to France to find an Englishman. <laughs> um, and once we were together, we actually, we were kind of both done with where we were living in France and we didn't really want to go somewhere else in France. So we started looking to emigrate to Australia and we were about halfway through the visa process for doing that. Uh, when his company at the time offered him a new position in the Czech Republic and so we sort of weighed the options. And this is where I got the most romantic proposal of all time, which was uh, I was making fajitas for dinner. And we were talking about what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. And he says, well, you're American and I'm English. Like, this is going to be really hard because all the visa paperwork is going to be a nightmare. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, so we should probably just get married. And then at least like we have to, we go to the same places. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And I remember going to bed and then waking up the next morning and I rolled over and I looked at him and I was like, wait a second, are you like engaged now? And he was like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, uh oh, that's so practical. Okay. Well, welcome. you've met my husband. So yeah, I know. really love surprise. That's like a big turn on like <laughs> nature. Well, it I'm like, works I'm for me it's it. 15 years. Right. So, so anyway, that's how we got married. We got married 
in England. And then um, he, we decided to take the job in the Czech Republic because it was a really good opportunity actually for him. And it set up a lot of things that happened for us later. Mm-hmm. But again, really hard choice, right? I was going from a language where I was really comfortable at this point, like super comfortable in English, super comfortable in French, love learning mm-hmm. languages. So I thought this is a great opportunity to learn another language and try another country. And this is great. Finally, I'm going to do something with this degree of mine. <laughs> I'm just going to do languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved to the second city in the Czech Republic, Brno, which is uh, about 45 minutes an hour south of Prague and right between Prague and Vienna. And we were there for a couple of years and then I kind of came up around 30 and I was like, babies, <laughs> we should do that. And my husband was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should do that. And I was like, we should do it. Or cause I'm like old, getting old, got to do this soon. It's not getting any easier, you know? And he was like, yeah, that's probably true. So then we decided to have a baby. And once I went through the pregnancy in the Czech Republic, I had my daughter there. It was really excellent. Um, but I did not have an easy birth. I had, I had major complications and issues, um, which made me, my recovery afterwards really difficult. And so he was traveling a lot and I kind of, about the time she was six months old, I kind of, I tapped out and I said, okay, like the the cocktail of things we have going, I can't, I can't survive this much longer. And I said, we need to go back to somewhere where I fluently speak the language. I said, we can go to Mm -hmm. England, we can go to France. I don't want to go back to America, but it's better. It would be better than this. And so, because I just was drowning with single parenting kind of thing that was happening. Um, And so we, we went to the company and said, Hey, we need a relocation. You know, we've done our three years of being an expat. We've completed our contract plus a year. Like we want out and they wouldn't send us back to France. They offered us Shanghai (laughs) or Los Angeles and it was one of the hardest decisions I ever made because it went against all of these things that I had set up for myself as like no non-negotiable yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and so obviously we chose Los Angeles in the end on the, on the agreement that it was temporary. Yeah. And now we're in Colorado. So oops. <laughs> and temporary <laughs> looked like, wait, how many years? 10 years? Well, no, 10 years was the plan. Um, okay. I agreed to 10 years because we, once we had her, I didn't want to move her a bunch of times. I just yeah. thought, okay, 10 years, that gives him a chance to do some other things that he wanted to do with his career. It gave me a chance to get into training because I, I was doing some kind of coaching um, in the Czech Republic, but I couldn't get a credential because I was on a, a work visa. Mm. You can't be a student on a work visa. Like you can't go to school and work. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't go through school to get the credential I wanted. I had to come back to another country of origin or become a citizen of another country to do it. So I thought it was a good opportunity and it's paid off. I mean, I don't, I don't regret going to LA at all because it it set up what I'm doing now, which I love more than teaching languages. I loved teaching languages, but I love this more. So, you know, it was a worthwhile trade. Yeah. God, well, I got, I'm glad because I don't feel like, I don't feel like we've really ever been through the scope of that experience <laughs> for you. So I'm no, glad no, I mean, because I got, we talk about you, right? Like, because that's what we're here for. So I don't typically. Um, I think we're here for everyone. It. We're here for the world. We're here for yeah. mankind, womankind, animal kind. It's very, it's very big. Most so great I animal mean, kind. So, you know, when I, when I talk about this stuff and when I say, you know, human beings have fundamental needs and we have to take control of that for ourselves, that's where it starts, right? You have to have your own foundation strong. And yes, your environment has a massive impact on that, but you have a massive amount of control on your environment if you're willing, if you're willing to get really uncomfortable. And how much pain are you in and how, how much discomfort are you willing to tolerate to change it? This is the age-old question around change. I was in enough pain and discomfort and unhappiness to make a massive change. A yeah. massive set of sacrifices to change my situation. Not everybody's prepared to do that. And that's okay. Yeah. But that doesn't well, mean you can't do something. Yeah. What I'm pondering now is in a world, country slash world, that feels really unsafe 
it's hard to sometimes just recognize like, hey, like I have a lot of my basic needs met because it kind of, I guess for me, it just feels like, well, we'll wait. It's going to get pulled out from under you. It's going to, you know, it's going to get pulled out from under you. Um, and I focus a lot on that, you know, or, I or, 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 or I focus on. Okay. Well, or I focus on say this. for you, Liz. It's not great. It's not okay. Great. Or I'll focus on, this is really, <laughs> I don't mean to be all like, I just love to think about other people so much. I will focus on, even if I have things like kind of okay, I'll focus on how unfair and wrong certain policies are. Like people who can't get their diabetes medicine, people who can't get their like cancer medicine. It's horrible. And yeah. And then I just feel, even if I'm not in that situation, I feel really, really angry and bitter. And it also, it still makes me feel super unsafe because I'm like, that's not okay well that's not the kind of society that we you know hold up as our ideals for the most part yeah. right I don't th- yeah. I don't think this is a political issue I think this is a human issue of yeah. you know every country has a version of civil rights and every country has a version of you know standards of care for for health and yeah. when you feel like the country that you're living in the bigger system that you're living in whatever that may be isn't supportive of those fundamental needs then everybody's uncomfortable and unhappy. And I think this is what we're experiencing right now is we were challenged as a nation and not really anybody I know is super happy about how it went. (laughs) Everybody's got different opinions about, you know, what should have been done and how it should Mm. have been done. And that's quite easy, right? But the hard conversation is what do we need to do now to fix how this went that's the conversation that not people are not having. Everybody's still busy finger pointing and worrying about Mm. what this person thinks about one specific aspect of the way this was handled. And I find that really, really sad because the point is whatever it was that we had set up didn't work well. Yeah. It didn't work well. So fine. We can argue about why, and we can argue about all of that, but we have to find a way to do better. Yeah, it starts with this basic pillar of human needs. Again, it's there it is. Mm-hmm. And this is why CPN putting this out right now. It's like, they're like, hey, guys, because if anybody's about talking about deep health besides me, it's precision nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, just to get real granular with it, it's like, you really aren't going to be, you're really, you're really not going to be able to do much personally at all or in be in any condition to help affect any change unless you do focus on your foundations to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it does start with yourself, right? And, I, and that's not a selfish thing. If the mm-hmm. environment that you live in doesn't support those basic needs, then it's on you as the individual to survive it. I mean, you could look at wolf packs, right? Like wolf packs have a certain hierarchy and a certain structure. And sometimes they splinter and new packs mm-hmm. are formed. And there's a 500 reasons why that might happen, but it could be resources. It could be shelter. It could be um, a personality f- disagreement, right? I'm thinking of Twilight. Isn't that sick? No, it's funny because <laughs> we've, been, we've been watching Twilight. That's what's so weird you bring oh that up. Oh my God, no. Yeah, no, Layla just Layla, finished no. reading it. No, Layla, it. no. I know. Well, she's like super, it's incredibly interesting to hear her commentary the on Games. the whole thing. Oh, she likes the Hunger Games. She watched oh, the Hunger God. Games too, but she was um she was super upset about the relationship between Bella and Edward. She was like, "What is wrong with this girl?" Like, That's freaking <laughs> awesome. That makes me like I already love Layla, but that makes me so it's, happy. Uh, She's so young and she can clearly see that this is not okay. Well, but it's generationally a different environment again, right? We talk about mm-hmm. cultural norms and what is acceptable and what she hears around her and the things that she sees, you know, she's processing that same piece of literature in air quotes very differently than we did. You know, and you I look need, at something. I need you to show her cinema <laughs> therapy, the, the YouTube channel cinema therapy. They do a three part, like a six part thing on twilight. 
Uh-huh, really? Yeah, it's a, a therapist and a filmmaker who are like best oh, friends. And they dissect it. It's so enjoyable to watch and so interesting. Please, God, like show her at least like the first one. Yeah. Well, so good. To send, you'll text if you text yeah, yeah. I'll find it. But <laughs> but yeah, and I think, you know, all of these things are instructive on mm-hmm. what we used to think, how we used to do things, how we can do things now. What do we want? things to look like going forward. We always get these choices personally and on a bigger level too, right? Like, and I think there's been a massive aversion for most Americans to politics for a really long time. And that's a problem. Yeah. If you're uninvolved in how your society is structured, you're not being represented very well, right? So you I think know, we've been told, I mean, I think there's like this feeling of like, we can't really enact any change, especially yeah, but, before you are. That's ridiculous again, right? Because look at France. France is my favorite country. How many heads did they chop off when they were? I was just thinking, like, we just need a big old guillotine. And and, but this is the reality: you only are powerless as long as you believe you are. And I'm not suggesting Mm -hmm. we go chop a bunch of people's heads off. I'm just saying, okay. Time and time again, historically, as we look at civilizations and we look at the pattern of civilization. We see this wealth gap expand, we see oppression increase, we see all of these problems, and it reaches a tipping point where the the poor and the underprivileged rise up and go kind of fuck you. And it doesn't turn out super well for the people at the top. And then we Mm. reset and we start again and we try a new system. And so, okay, we haven't found the best system yet. We're doing better. I would say, because we're lasting longer as sovereign nations than we did in the past. So it's improving, but it unfortunately seems to be a very slow, painful, iterative process rather than a like, hey, this is what we should do. And everybody agrees. We're not doing that yet. Right. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's not there's not no hope. It just happens to be a particular time in the life cycle of this particular nation that we're in. Mm-hmm. that we all have to stand up and work on. And we have to work on our yeah. nation's foundations just as much as our own personal mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. Good point. But a nation's identity comes from the integrity and beliefs and values of its citizens. Ooh, scary. Hmm. 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 <laughs> I am so <laughs> off piste on shit I shouldn't be talking about at this point. Like, I have absolutely no <gasps> well, we were talking credentials we whatsoever to talk about this <laughs> in any it's- reasonable way. I think you're doing a great job. And I mean, our base, our talk is about feelings of safety and how that impacts your deep health. So let's talk a little bit really quickly about some tangible things you can take control of no matter what. That's great. I love that. (laughs) And I think this is, you know, this is one of those things because it can often feel like you don't have choices in your day. It can feel like I, you Mm -hmm. know, especially when it comes to being on the lower income end of things. It can feel like I absolutely have to have this shitty job because I can't afford to pay my rent and I can't afford to do these things. Mm. And what I'll say about that is that as long as you participate in that system, that's true. But as long as we can look back in American history, there have been groups of people going, hey, no, fuck that. I'm out. Right. That's like American culture at its base. Like Brigham Young, he was like, I want lots of wives. Everybody was like, I don't think so. He's like, bye. And he left. And then there was, (laughs) you know, like, the whole like revolutionary war, Hmm. right? What's us looking at it and going like, no, we don't want that. And we left. And so like, you have the power to change your environment. You can leave. You can leave. How much pain are you willing to tolerate to do it? How much learning are you willing to do to do it? Because Hmm. you can learn to grow your own food. A pack of seeds still costs under a dollar. That is very comforting because everything else costs an extreme amount of money. A bag of dirt. I'm not quite sure what that costs, but I guarantee you, like if you're willing to take on some of the less optimal situations in the short term, you will improve your long-term outcomes. Yeah. And it sucks and it shouldn't be that way. And I'm not defending that. And I'm not saying like you know, you just need to suffer because you Again, have less Again, not money. the bootstraps thing. The no, bootstraps thing is that. really not. It's empowerment. It's like this guy in South Central mm-hmm. that I, whose name I, I was just talking about this yesterday on the live stream with John. We had this amazing bariatric surgeon on who was great to talk to her about um, what happens when people gain so much weight that they really can't help themselves at, at a certain point and they need support and help and possibly surgery to get back to a healthy state. Mm-hmm. Um 
like when we look at that and when we look at what the work that she's doing to empower people, we talked about this guy who was like, basically like, I'm going to grow food in a dresser drawer. I'm going to buy some dirt. I'm going to plant a seed and I'm going to eat and I'm going to take control of my own food security because the place that I live is not doing so. And then he taught other people how to do it. And now other people have food security because he's teaching them. And now he has a masterclass and is saying, this is what we can do. That's awesome. But that's what I mean when I say like those foundations that you work on for yourself, you can then turn that outward. It doesn't stay Mm. internal. Once you have it, you get to share it. And that's where change comes from, I think. Yeah. So it's not selfish to work on yourself in that way. The better... the better and happier you can like the happier and more safe you can feel the better of a person you're going to be like what is it hurt hurt people hurt people yeah you're suffering you feel scared just in fear all the time and really insecure you're probably you know lashing out and kind of shooting yourself in the foot I'm speaking for myself a lot (laughs) Well, but I don't, I think you're speaking for a lot of people. I think this is yeah. a lot of human behavior explained. And, and when you understand that, it's a lot easier to help people when mm-hmm. you can empathize with that situation. When you can realize that something that somebody said is hurtful because they're hurt, not because they're terrible or bad or evil or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, somewhere, somewhere, somehow, some of their needs and safety issues were not met. And so now they have coping Mm. strategies, right? So when you start to stack all of these different disciplines on top of each other, and you start to overlap this, you realize that it is, it just comes down to like, how have we structured our society? What's it supporting? And what isn't it supporting? And is that what we want? And we get to change it. We absolutely get to change it time and time again, it has been changed by people. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. (laughs) It's what you take away from them. Wow. The more you know.